Good morning. It's good to see everyone here. Thankful we have the opportunity to come together and worship God together on this first day of the week. If you will, open with me to 1 Samuel chapter 20 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 20. You know, something I guess I don't always mention a whole lot, but I do hope you know, I know many of you do, but I think it's good to remind us that in, in preaching, I've heard preaching described as the preacher saying, look at what God has said to us. It's important for me to emphasize that everything that I ever preach, everything that I ever teach applies to me the same it does to you. Things can be just as much of a challenge and a struggle for me as they are for you. And remember that. Uh, I find things challenging sometimes as well, just the same as you do. The reason I mention that is the sermon this morning and preparing for it this past week, uh, it is one that I believe is very challenging to all of us, to me included. Because the title of the lesson this morning is simply a question. I want you to think about as we go through this study this morning, ask yourself this question as we go through the lesson. And the question is simply this, where do your loyalties lie? Where do your loyalties lie? Because really that is the question in the passages we'll be studying this morning. That is repeated over and over again, beginning here in 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20, David, we won't read this whole chapter this morning for time's sake. It's 42 verses. But to kind of give us a picture of what's going on, David has been hunted down by Saul. Saul has tried to kill David in the previous chapter multiple times. Even though Saul had originally said at the beginning of chapter 19, as the Lord lives, I'm not going to try to kill David anymore. Chapter 20, David comes back to Jonathan. And basically, David asked Jonathan, what have I done? What have I done wrong? What sin have I committed? Why is your father trying to kill me? And Jonathan's reaction is rather interesting. Because the last Jonathan knew about this situation, Saul had taken an oath. He had promised, as the Lord lives, I'm not going to try to kill David anymore. And as far as Jonathan knew, that was, that was the last of the situation. And so David comes back now and is saying, why is your father trying to kill me? And Jonathan's reaction in verse 2 through down through verse 4 is essentially, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, my father, Saul, he, he's not trying to kill you. He's promised he's not going to do that. That's not who's out to get you. And so then David talks to Jonathan, and they develop a plan. There is a feast coming up where ordinarily both David and Jonathan would be at Saul's table. And David would choose not to be there. And he would tell Jonathan, you know... Uh, Tell your father that I've gone over to Bethlehem to my family to offer a sacrifice and, and see how he reacts. It's important to notice that Jonathan, he goes through and they make a covenant. Jonathan promises David, I'm going to look out for you. 
I'm not going to turn you over to my father. I'm not going to let something bad come upon you for you've done nothing wrong. It's important to remember Jonathan makes that promise in his mind believing that Saul is not trying to kill David. Saul is not after David's life. And so as we begin reading with me with verse 30, they come to this feast, a day passes, Saul thinks he's unclean, maybe he's taking time to purify himself. But so the second day, Saul asked Jonathan, well, where's David now? He wasn't here yesterday, but now this is day two and he's not here. What's going on? Where's David? And so Jonathan tells him what David had said. He's gone to make a sacrifice. In verse 30, then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Basically what Saul tells Jonathan is you are a wicked, foolish traitor. Jonathan, where do your loyalties lie? Do you not realize that by siding with David, you are never going to be able to be king? Do you realize that by siding with David, Jonathan, you are betraying your family, you are betraying your nation, your country? And he basically tells him, look, kind of get your act together and bring David to me because David must die. Now, imagine... Jonathan's state of mind here. Jonathan's assumption up to this point is that Saul was going to keep his promise and that Saul's not trying to kill David. Imagine learning, put yourself in Jonathan's position. Imagine this was your own father that you discover this about and it takes you completely by surprise. I mean, it's easy enough to make the covenant with David when you're under the assumption that David is mistaken about your father trying to kill him. But now Jonathan comes to realize that David was absolutely right. Jonathan's own father is trying to kill David, a man who has done nothing wrong. Imagine how you would feel in this moment. Imagine the effect that these words would have upon you coming from your own father accusing you of being a traitor and betraying your family and your country. These are not just words that, you know, just went in one ear and out the other. These were words that sunk down and would have hit Jonathan as hard as it would have hit any of us coming from someone that we loved and respected like our own father. And Jonathan, verse 32, answers Saul, his father, and he says, well, why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him, at Jonathan, to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger. 
He ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. As the chapter concludes, Jonathan goes out and he, a predetermined signal, he signals to David and basically tells David, everything you thought is true. And now go in peace. I'm going to make sure. I'm going to do my part. I'm not going to turn you over to my father. Run away. Get out of here. Save your life. And they make a covenant that they would always treat each other's descendants well. That David would treat the house of Jonathan well. The key point of this whole chapter really is the discussion between Saul and Jonathan. Where do your loyalties lie? Because you see, Jonathan is caught between really two groups, two people. He's caught between David, his best friend, someone he loves as a brother, the Lord's anointed. This is the one that God has chosen is going to be the next king of his people. And he's caught between his own father, someone who has selfishly decided that he is going to do things his way and that David must die so that Jonathan can be king. Where do your loyalties lie? And I couldn't help but be reminded as we read through 1 Samuel 20 and as I was preparing this week, I couldn't help but think of how this chapter points forward to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How this chapter reminds us of the King, Jesus himself. And I thought about what was said in John chapter 11. So if you'll turn with me there first, John 11, verse 47 through 53. It's interesting that in the New Testament, we read some things that are very similar to what Saul says to Jonathan. But in John 11, it's being said by the religious leaders of the Jews after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. After that has happened, some very similar things are said by the religious leaders of the Jews in response to what Jesus is doing, specifically raising people from the dead. It says, beginning with verse 45, John 11, we'll start in verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, if we just let him continue as he's doing, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. You see that what Saul was focused on with Jonathan and what these religious leaders are focused on in this conversation is the it's the same things. We will lose. Saul was talking to Jonathan. Do you not realize if you side with David, you're going to lose your position and your kingdom, your nation. What are these religious leaders worried about? If we let Jesus keep going, we're going to lose our position and our nation. They're concerned about what they stand to lose if Jesus, if God's way continues to be done. 
Where do your loyalties lie? And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you don't know anything at all, nor do you consider that it's expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. In other words, this was a prophecy here and they didn't even realize what was happening. And then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Their loyalties at the end of the day, their loyalty was not with God. As it was with Saul, it was his selfish interest, what he wanted. He was willing to try to kill the anointed one, the chosen one of God, David, to try and keep what he had, to, to get what he wanted. We come to John 11, and while it's different people saying some different things in a different situation, it is truthfully the exact same situation. People who are confronted with the will of God and what God is doing. And they realize that if, if that happens, what they stand to lose. And they are acting in a selfish way, trying to hold on to what they have and what they want. We go a little bit further in John, to John chapter 18. Now, Jesus has been arrested He's been brought before the Jewish council, and they have, of course, decided that he's worthy to die. And so they bring Jesus before Pilate, the, the Roman governor of the land. And in John 18, beginning with verse 28, so they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. This was the, the governor's residence. This is where the governor would have been staying. And it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled that they may eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, Well, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Apparently, they were expecting Pilate to just sort of let them do whatever they wanted to do. But Pilate comes out. This is early in the morning. Pilate is very busy. I was reading something that pointed out because all of these Jews were gathered in the area, there was, a, there was a higher likelihood that there might be some rebellious activity against Rome at this time. As sometimes in our country, you have big events, you kind of up the security, they're, they're paying attention to security risks. This is one of those events in Jerusalem. That's why Pilate's even here. Ordinarily, this isn't where Pilate was. He's in town because there's an up security risk at this time. So he's busy. He's got actual, probably legitimate security risk he's been dealing with. And now there's this individual that the Jews are bringing, wanting to put to death. And he starts asking some questions. And so Pilate tells them, verse 31, Well, you take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. They tell him, No, this isn't just some 
religious problem in our community. This fella deserves the death penalty. Well, that brings Rome into the equation. And so Pilate enters the praetorium. He, he, again, he calls Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him. Remember, Pilate is paying attention to security risk, re potential rebellious activity. He gets wind that perhaps Jesus is some sort of king. As a Roman official, he's concerned about that. And Jesus said, Are you speaking for yourself about this? Or... Did others tell you this concerning me? In other words, have you heard that with your own ears or did someone tell you that about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priest have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not the kind of kingdom you're thinking about, Pilate. It's not the kind of kingdoms that this world holds. If my kingdom were of this world, if it were like the kingdoms of this world, then my servants would fight. So I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? It's a reminder to the readers of John. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's a reminder. We know who the truth is. And we know who speaks truth. But Pilate doesn't know that. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I don't find any fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas was an insurrectionist. Barabbas was actually the kind of criminal that Pilate was very concerned about. This was the kind of person that Pilate is in Jerusalem to keep an eye out for. These are the very kind of people that Pilate's there for. And they're calling for Pilate to release some of the very prisoners that Pilate would be perfectly fine keeping locked up. Pilate, as we're going to read, doesn't really want to do this. So he thinks, well, let me figure out sort of a way to meet them in the middle. So what he does is he takes Jesus and he scourges him a horrible, painful beating that sometimes people died from this and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns they put it on his head they put on him a purple robe and they said hail king of the jews mocking jesus what people would say in this time is you would say hail caesar what this is is mocking jesus as being a king comparing him to who they thought was the true king caesar himself and they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. As we're going to read, Pilate doesn't really want to do what they want him to do with Jesus. So he's hoping, I believe, that this will satisfy their desires. They're... they're 
thirst for blood, he hopes maybe this will accomplish it. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. They couldn't do this. Pilate is basically saying, I'm, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. Fine, you do it. But the Jews couldn't do this. The Jews then say some very interesting things here that really tie into what we're thinking about this morning. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And he went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Why that statement is very interesting and why it would perhaps ring in such a way to Pilate where he would become afraid. The Son of God was a, a title of sorts that was given to Caesar. Caesar was the Son of God, Son of the gods. And now he is hearing this fella, the Jews are saying, has made himself the Son of God. This would have called a Roman's attention because according to them, in their mind, Caesar's the only one who's the Son of God. But Jesus won't answer him. And then Pilate says, are you, not, are you not speaking to me? Don't you know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Now Pilate's starting to hear some charges that line up with this fellow might need to be put to death. But Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it, been, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore... The one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From that time on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. The final card, if you will, that the Jews played here was the same question we're thinking about this morning. Pilate where do your loyalties lie? Are you not loyal to Caesar? Because it would sure be bad if word got back to Caesar that, you know, someone who's claiming to be a son of God and someone who's claiming to be a king, it would sure be bad for you if word got back to Caesar that you let someone like that walk free. Pilate, who was really in this position because of Caesar, knew that if something like that got back to Caesar, he would be in a lot of trouble. The card they played that finally caused Pilate to decide, I'm going to crucify Jesus, was the card, where do your loyalties lie? Caesar, are you loyal to Rome or not? In the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire, when they would when they would conquer cities or nations, they would, they would nail up a gospel announcement by the gates of the city. And that announcement would say something like this, there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved, save for Augustus or save for Caesar. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, 
It's because in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, what the apostles said, standing before the Jewish council, they said, speaking of Jesus, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Every single person in the Roman world would have recognized that statement because that statement was pasted up on the, the gates of every city you went in in the Roman Empire. Only it was applied not to Jesus, but to Caesar. Caesar is your savior was the message the Roman Empire put out to their people. Caesar can save you. You want hope? Caesar offers it. You want, a, you want a new life, sort of a fresh start, a new beginning in life? You want to be successful? Caesar offers that. You want peace? Caesar and Rome offer that. You want salvation? Caesar offers that. The apostles came preaching a message that people had heard, but they had only heard it applied to a kingdom of this world and rulers of this world. But the apostles came preaching, Jesus is the true Savior. Jesus is the one in which you can find real, true hope. You want peace? Only Jesus offers peace. And you want to be a child of God? You want to be a son, a, a daughter, a child of God? In John chapter 1, verse 12 and verse 13, John 1, verse 12 and verse 13, it says something very interesting about Jesus. John 1, verse 12 through verse 13. He says, But as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, they weren't born into this family, that family like, like Caesar was. His children were born. They were born into that family. Uh, not the will of the flesh. They didn't seize power for themselves as some of the Caesars did. And it wasn't the will of man. They didn't have people put them into that. But of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ. I went through all that to point this out to us. As we think about where do our loyalties lie. The gospel of Jesus Christ was a message in the first century that once Rome started figuring out what the message of Christianity truly was, they started persecuting Christianity because they started figuring out they're proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. Only Caesar got called that. They're proclaiming that life is in Jesus Christ. Only Caesar offers life. Peace is in Jesus Christ. The Christians in the first century, they had a very real decision to make. And the question was, the one we're thinking about this morning, where do your loyalties lie? Because ultimately you have to make a decision. Are you going to believe that the kingdoms of this world can offer you hope, can offer peace, can offer security, or are you going to believe that Jesus offers that? I think about what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6 as he was speaking of Jesus Christ and he was writing to Timothy, concluding his thoughts, and he was encouraging Timothy. 
He said, but you, O man of God, 1 Timothy 6, 11, flee these things, flee covetousness, flee living like the world, living like the people who trust in the people and the kingdoms of this world. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Jesus Christ to witness the good confession before Pontius Pilate that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest, he'll make known in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. The message of the gospel of Christ is really the question that is asked to us by the gospel of Christ is where do our loyalties lie? Will we choose to continue to trust in the things that this world offers? The, the kingdoms of this world, the rulers of this world, the wealth of this world, will we continue to follow after and trust in those things? Or are we going to trust in Jesus Christ? As we wrap our thoughts up this morning, I'm reminded also of, as Peter was closing up, that first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2. And he concluded that sermon by telling those who were there, some of them who had crucified Jesus, reminding them that Jesus is both Lord and Christ and Savior. The conclusion of that sermon was a slap in the face to Rome. Rome said, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Savior. Peter said, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. He can save you. This morning, if you've never obeyed the gospel, that message is still true. The kingdom of Rome has fallen, showing that their claims were empty. Kingdoms of this world come and go. Jesus is still Lord, and he is still Savior, and he can still save you if you will obey the gospel. If you will believe that he is the Son of God, the Lord, the Savior, repent of your sins as those there in Acts 2 were told to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of them, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That same offer is extended to all today who will obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is still Lord and he is still Savior. If you are a Christian but you realize that you have let your life become distracted by the things of this world. Perhaps, though you were once loyal to Jesus, now your loyalties have shifted, and now your loyalties have lately lied more with the things of this world. This morning, you can repent of that. Turn from that and turn back to the Lord and serve Him faithfully. He'll forgive you of that. If only you will repent. This morning, if you need to respond, won't you come as we stand and as we sing?